So let's review the five. I will do what he asks me to do. I will, and it's not just I will do it. Remember, telestial to terrestrial is a change in what I do. So what is the terrestrial to celestial? I want to do what he does. I want to do what he asks me to do. That's the celestial covenant. Sacrifice, I really don't want to be telestial. I understand that telestial doesn't make me happy. I'm trying to make sure I'm, I don't want to believe a lie. And I know that it's a lie. Telestial wickedness never makes you happy. So I'm going to let that go. I understand that the gospel is the path to get there. I covenant to follow the law of the gospel. And that includes everything, prophets, conference, institute, scripture. The law of the gospel is my path to do and to be. And then the Lord says, okay, as long as we're talking about the gospel, can we talk about two emphases? Chastity and consecration. Have you thought about that, this class? Of all the laws of the gospel, why does he emphasize chastity and consecration? I think that's worth really pondering. Chastity and all that's involved in being and marriage and creation and godhood and consecration, all that's involved in, I want you to have what I have. I invite you to stop thinking of the degrees of glory as rewards. Oh, you got an A, here's your reward. Some, if we think that way, then to not go to the celestial kingdom is failure, right? I didn't get the highest grade on the test, and so I failed. And I think we need to stop looking at the degrees of glory as rewards and rather look at them as lifestyles. What kind of life do you want to live in eternity? Would a telestial person be happy in the celestial kingdom? He got the highest reward. Why would he be miserable there? Because that's not the lifestyle that makes him happy. So tell me what makes you a celestial person. What is the, uh, how do you see it? What is the difference between a terrestrial person and a celestial person? Who goes to the celestial kingdom? What lifestyle makes them happy? Any thoughts? If we don't see it as a reward, um, then like, doesn't Christ pretty much uh, promote the celestial kingdom above all else? Like, Celestial is the glory of the sun. Uh, terrestrial is the glory of the moon. Telestial is the glory of the stars. With that doctrine, this encourages people to believe that the celestial kingdom is the overall goal. It's the best, and it is. The happiness available in celestial glory is greater than the happiness available in the terrestrial. But if we're going to be miserable there, then that's going to be partially true. Yes, it's so... I may be content with a lesser happiness. I may be content with lesser happiness. And I know it's hard to stop seeing it as a reward. So maybe let's answer the question, what makes you a celestial person? What makes you celestial? Have you pondered that? 
But what's the choice? What's the reason? What is being a celestial person? Okay, but what does that mean? Let me keep pushing you. What is it that celestial people want? What is the lifestyle that drives you to act like Christ acts? What is it that you want? So, quote directly from preaching the gospel, those who have repented of their sins, received the ordinances of the gospel, and kept the associated covenants will be cleansed by the atonement of Jesus Christ. They will be saved in the celestial kingdom. They are the people who want to be there. They're the people who are actively like going to the temple, becoming that person that is going to feel comfortable in the celestial kingdom. They're, you know, it's the Ten Covenants, it's the laws of the gospel, it's the things that we have covenanted to do, and they've become the person that they're pushing that those Absolutely, 100% true, but I'm going to push it a little. I want to be there for what reason? I want to be there for what reason? To sing in the choir? I want to sing in the choir for eternity. What is the work of a celestial person that drives you to say, I want to be celestial? A relationship. Okay. So a relationship with God, but, okay, I got that on day one. Now, the reality is, I, again, I don't understand how eternal life, but he's going to go off and redo the whole plan of salvation again. What am I going to do forever? Just sit there and glory in the relationship I have with him. I don't mean to be facetious, but what is the work of being celestial? Okay, so I just, we just sit around in a room looking at each other saying, hey, I'm like Heavenly Father and you're like Heavenly Father. And okay, now what do we do? I don't mean to be facetious, but I really want to push you and ask, why do you want to be celestial? So you can sing in the choir, so you can praise him, so you can just enjoy a relationship with him, or is there something that drives celestial people to be celestial? Uh, to have a heavenly parenthood with your heavenly children. Just keep going. I think you're starting to see the work of the celestial kingdom. What do you mean? What's the, what drives me? What drives people to have children? Why do people want to have children? Kind of. So what does that mean? What does it mean that I want to become like God? Is it that I want to have all power and kind of go, there's a world, there's a world. I mean, I don't mean to be facetious, but is creating worlds the work of a God? What is the work of a God? Say that again. So is it the creation? Is it the act of creation that is the work of God's? Okay, so joy in what? Having them? Do you see where we're going? I just think we're starting to get somewhere. Okay, 
for the things you create. I think we're starting to see the work of celestial people is that my greatest desire, my greatest happiness, my greatest satisfaction is what? Helping other people be happy. The work of the celestial kingdom is to bring happiness and life and creation and glory to others. I think that is the heart and soul of being celestial. I want to save others. I desire power, but for what reason? I want to have omnipotent power, but for what reason? So that I can bring happiness to other people. The work of being celestial is, I want to help you become celestial. Celestial people are focused where? So when you talk about becoming like Christ, what does that mean? Do I take pride in becoming like Christ? Hey, I'm like Jesus. I've accomplished my goal. Then I've missed the whole point, right? I'm like Jesus, meaning what? I now am focused on what Jesus is focused on. The, the, what would make a celestial person miserable in the celestial kingdom is that in the celestial kingdom, they have to do what? Focus on others. And that is not the work that makes them happy. Now, do you see where I'm going with this? I wonder if maybe it should, we should say it as pe- like celestial people want to make others happy. They, they don't want to make others happy with the laws that Christ has. Because there's so many good people in this world, like, say, I don't, I don't want to name any names, but celebrities, we can all think of different celebrities who don't share our beliefs, and they don't want to share our beliefs, but they want to help people every single day, and it's their life's mission. So I wonder if we should think of it that way, that people, that intellectual people want to help, that they don't want to help people in the ways that God wants them to. Yes, and I would even push it a little further. I would say, eventually, if they truly are focused on other people's happiness, where will they most likely end up? If they are truly focused on other people's happiness, where will they want to spend eternity? In the celestial kingdom. And they will probably do whatever it takes to get there so that they can spend eternity blessing others. Now, the whole reason I want to get you thinking like this is what is the very best way to practice that? What is the very best way to practice living a life focused on others? What two laws of the gospel would you say are focused on a celestial mindset, a celestial work, a celestial desire, wanting to do celestial things? Marriage, chastity, and that whole group, right? Parenthood, fatherhood. People who hate parenthood in this life, would they, be, would they all of a sudden love parenthood in the eternities? But one of the best ways to practice is chastity. There's one of them. And what's the other one? 
consecrated. You see where I'm going with this? You see where I want to point? You've got to stop thinking of chastity and consecration as things you have to do to get the reward. Rather, as ways I practice the celestial lifestyle. How do I practice the celestial lifestyle? How do I practice being focused on other people and their happiness? So we did chastity and we've done inner law of consecration. The whole reason I'm doing this is because I now I want to talk about the outer law of consecration. But I don't want to open this conversation until you kind of see, I see it, I get it. I understand why the Heavenly Father would come to me and say, are you willing to consecrate all you have? No, I'm not. Well, then you don't get the reward. Versus, are you ready to be in a lifestyle where all of us are willing to give everything that we have for other people's happiness. Are you ready to practice that and try it? And now all of a sudden consecration becomes a beautiful, natural thing, not some difficult requirement that I have to pass in order to get the reward. You see what I'm trying to say? I don't know if I've explained it well enough, but I want you to see consecration as a celestial lifestyle. I want to take everything that I have and make other people happy. How do I make other people happy? So with that introduction, let's talk about the outer law of consecration. There are three steps. Way too often do we only talk about the first. When I say outer law of consecration, when I say someday we're going to switch to the law of consecration, tell me what you hear. What comes to mind? What will we do? So it's the giving of everything that I have, right? Isn't that what we talk about? Consecration is I give everything to the church. I give my house to the church. I give my cars to the church. I give my iPad. I give everything I have to the church. Now, if it ends there, what kind of church, what kind of people do we have? What kind of people do we have if that's what consecration is? <laughs> that is not a millennial state, is it? So we have to talk about two and three. And what I'd really like you to do in your head is to stop thinking that this is consecration and to start thinking that this is consecration. I can't practice this today, but I can practice this. And if I think that this is consecration and this is how I practice that celestial attitude, the desires of a celestial person to bless others. This is what consecration is. So should we put some meat on these bones and to talk about what are the three steps? Let's go to the actual command to do it. So Doctrine and Covenants, section 42, the law of the church. We've been talking a great deal about the law of the church. Section 42. Now, do you remember how we mentioned several thou shalt's and thou shalt nots. 
Verse 30 is a thou shalt remember the poor. And then what came next? Section 42, verse 30. Thou shalt remember the poor and consecrate. Now, step number one, verse 31. Tell me what step number one is. Section 42, verse 31. Who'll read it? Step number one is... Anyone want to read? Step number 31, verse 31. Okay, that's the one we all think consecration. A hundred percent tithing, right? I lay all that I have at the feet of the bishop. I have a house, kind of. The bank owns most of it, but I've paid a, a lot of it. I own two vehicles, fully outright. They are mine. No bank owns them. They're mine. I have property. I have, I have some things, Bishop, and they're all yours. So I turn the deed to my house over to the church. I turn the titles to my vehicles to the church. I hand in my iPad. I would hand in my clothes if I could. I lay all that I have before the, the, the church. I want you to have everything that I have, Lord. Now, again, we can't stop here or else what am I? Broke. Poor <laughs> and unable to do any good for the church. So let's get to number two. What is number two? Who wants to read? Verse 32. So step number one was 31. Step number two is verse 32. Someone else read. What's step number two? And shall come to pass that after they are laid before the bishop of my church, and after, they, that after that he has received these testimonies concerning the consecration of the properties of my church, they, that they cannot be taken from the church, and bring both my comments, every man shall be made accountable unto me, the steward over his own property. There's the key word. Received by consecration, not give by consecration, received. Step number two is I receive a stewardship. So the Dunford family, I still have five kids living at home. I have an eight-year-old. What's the first thing the church is going to give back to me as a stewardship? A house to live in. Now, odds are, what's the most logical house to give back to the Dunford family? The house I consecrated. Now, if I understand, again, I don't fully understand how this is going to lay out, but I gave a ch the church a house with a mortgage. The church gives me back what? As I understand it, as I'm thinking this through, the church gives me back... A house paid in full. No debt on it. This is my house. But there's another possibility. What might be a better house for the Dunford family? It might be. So one possibility is same size I gave. 
What's another possibility, which now goes to the inner law of consecration? I may have given, and what I need, will there be those who consecrate a larger house than they receive as a stewardship? Of course. I would imagine Larry and Gail Meal Miller will receive back a smaller house than they gave to the church. But what's another possibility? What's another possibility? Because? Because your family is living in a house that's too small for its needs. And you need this size. Now that's number two. We got to distribute stewardships. I would like to think that I will say to the Lord, here you go, here you go. Take my whole life. It's all yours. I want to build the kingdom, and this is a good tool to build the kingdom. Thank you, Bryce. Appreciate that. Now, you know what you could do? You could teach for us. Why don't you take this tool to be a teacher for us? Okay, I'll do it. And now it's a stewardship. I am going to receive a stewardship based on my needs, my circumstances, my abilities. So just for fun, let's look at a few stewardships. Let's look at the church handout in the early days of the church, a few stewardships. Is the idea here everyone gets the same? No, that's not the goal. We're not necessarily trying to equalize everyone. We're trying to say, what's the right things for James and Whitney to receive? You know what? He's really good at washing cars. Let's give him the car wash. I, I received a car wash through consecration from someone. I'm going to give that car wash to James and Whitney. Now, you have a house, you have a car, and you have a car wash. And someone else might say, you know what? You know what's the right thing? You need this business. So we're going to give you, we're going to stewardship you this business. Now, does the church own the car wash? Under stewardships, does the church own the car wash? No. Who owns the car wash? The, no. Great attitude. I love that. You just got an A on last week's class. Who, whose name is on the deed of the car wash property? James and Whitney. Now, that's actually why Oliver Cowdery got excommunicated. Because the church gave Oliver Cowdery a property that was his and he sold it. And the church was like, um, that wasn't yours to sell. But the reality is, yeah, it was. It was legally turned over to them. So James and Whitney receive a car wash in their name, a house in their name. Everything that they need to contribute to the kingdom. So we all consecrate. We all receive back a stewardship. So let's just see a few stewardships. Hey? This is kind of interesting to watch the church hand out some stewardships. Let's go to section 104 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Lord's going to hand out some stewardships. Now, again, you're going to notice, boy, this, that, that's kind of odd. So notice in verse 11. 
It is wisdom in me, therefore, a commandment I give unto you that you shall organize yourself and appoint every man his stewardship, that every man may give an account unto me of the stewardship which is appointed unto him. 15, it is my purpose to provide for my saints, for all things are mine, but it must be done, done in my way. Now, starting in verse 20, let's hand out a stewardship to Sidney Rigdon. What did Sidney Rigdon receive as a stewardship? Number one, what does it say? The house he lived in, okay? The house he consecrated, he receives back. The place where he now resides, oh, and the tannery. Oliver Cowdery was given the tannery. Sorry, Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon was given the tannery. You now have the tannery, Sidney. Okay, 24, Martin Harris. Here's an interesting one. What was Martin Harris given as a stewardship? Well, whose land? John Johnson's land. Martin Harris received John Johnson's land. 27, what did Frederick G. Williams receive? The house he gave. All right, 29, what did Frederick G. Williams and Oliver Cowdery receive? The printing press. You get the idea? How about verse 39? This one's fascinating. Verse 39, what did Newell K. Whitney receive? The house says and lot where he now resides, the lot and building on which the mercantile establishment stands, and also the lot on the, which is on the side of the mercantile, you know what it is, and also the lot which the ashery is on. Now, I don't know, I'm not in charge, but if I were handing out stewardships, do you think I would give Larry H. Miller just, you know, one little business to run? No. Why? Because he has a brilliant business mind. And his business mind would bless what? The kingdom. So I'm going to give Larry H. Miller a significant stewardship. For whose sake? Because Larry H. Miller is so much better than the rest of us? No. Why would I give Larry H. Miller a significant stewardship? For the sake of the kingdom knowing what that brilliant mind would do with that stewardship. Do you see the law of stewardships? Everyone reads. Now go back to verse 32. Everyone receives by consecration according to... What was the end of that phrase? Everyone receives by consecration. Is it there? You're looking at me like it's not there. 32. Everyone will receive by consecration as much as is sufficient for himself and his family. Will some receive more than they gave? 
Yes, will some receive less than they gave? Yes, will some receive exact, exactly what they gave? Yes. Do you see why the inner law was so important? There's no way this is going to work without that inner law being in place, right? Okay, now, what is number three? What is the rest of my life? How many times will I do this? If the church started consecration today and we're going to live a thousand years into the millennium, how many times do I do this? Once. Thank goodness, right? You imagine all that property changing hands multiple times. How many times will I receive a stewardship? Probably once. So what will the rest of my life look like? This. This is called the law of the surplus. Well, I should say that. That's what I call it. I call this the law of surplus. Let's see how it goes. Anyone want to read verse 33? Here's the rest of my life. Who wants to read verse 33? This is what I do after I've received. This is what Whitney and James are going to do with their car wash. Now, knowing them the way they are, they're going to stand up today and say, we're going to be the best darn car, washes in Zion, car washers in Zion. We're going to make as much money as we possibly can on a car wash so that we can do what? Build, build the kingdom. So what is the law of surplus? Who wants to read 33? Whitney, 33. Them. Oh, sorry. We're back in 43, 42. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. You didn't find what? Okay. No wonder. Back in 32 of section 42, how did that, you see that last phrase? I received by consecration. What's the end of verse 32? That's the phrase I was looking for. Everyone will receive a stewardship that is sufficient for what they and who they are. So Larry H. Miller is going to get a stewardship that's sufficient for Larry and Gail Miller. Bryce and Jennifer are going to get a stewardship that's sufficient for the Dunfords. And that the, the church will help. Now, what do I do for the rest of my life? Verse 33 of section 42, Whitney. Okay, well, let's digest that a line at a time. If you end up one month with more than is necessary for your support. So let's suppose once this is done, it's now May. And this is what I need to take care of my family. This is my budget. And it's not just skimp. You know, once in a while, we're going to have prime rib. This is what I need for my family. And in May, this is what the car wash brought in. So tell me, what do I do here? Keep reading, Whitney. Um, which is a residue to be consecrated unto the bishop. It shall be kept to administer to those who have not 
from time to time, that every man who has need may be amply su supplied and received according to his wants. So what do we call this little amount right here? That's my surplus. And what do I do with my surplus? I give that to the church. Now, it might be 10%. It also might be 20%. It might be 100%. On a really, really good car wash month, it might be 200%. I'm going to take what I need and give everything else to the church. For what? For what purpose? Why do I give it to the church? Read that part again. Okay, so that would suggest that if in the middle of winter, let's suppose we get to December, how many people are going to wash their cars in December? Not many. So odds are in December, the car wash is going to bring in this much. As much as they try, the car wash is going to bring in this much. So this is one of those months where they do what? They are one of the ones that have not. So where does this come from? You got it. What they lack in order to have what they need comes from the same pot they put into when they had an abundance. That's the law of surplus. So that everyone always has what you need. And when you gain more, you just, here it is, Lord, here's my surplus for the month. Or this is one of those months where I have not. And I receive from that pot to bring me up to where I, where I need to be. Do you see the law of surplus? James. So I think it's easy to view that and kind of go, yeah, that'd, that'd be utopia, right? Yeah. But understanding the overall purpose and reason for that is to create an efficiency in building up the kingdom of God, like prepared for judgment day, I guess. Because this is going to be applicable as far as we understand. And this is life for the thousand years of the millennium. Right. This is how we live during the millennium. To then prepare everyone to have received an opportunity to receive, like to live that celestial life. Yep. Because I think looking at that, it's like, well, that'd be kind of boring. Like it, it would, it would, it would just be like this repeating, like no, not a lot of progression. Understanding the progression is in building the kingdom of God on the earth. Yeah. Because you know what? I'm going to take great pride in giving this away and watching someone else do that. And I'm, what am I practicing? Tell me what I'm practicing this whole time. Lord, what do you need from me? At times, I will give him everything because that's what he needs from me. Other times, it will be less. Other times, it will be more. But what I'm practicing is I want to build this kingdom. I want everyone to have what they need. I want others to eat tonight. I want 
to bless others. See what I'm practicing? I'm practicing the very nature of being celestial. Tell me what Heavenly Father does all day long. What did Heavenly Father do today? He spent the day doing what? Skiing? Playing basketball? Do gods play golf? How boring is golf for gods? Gee, I wonder if I'm going to hit it hole in one this time. How boring is golf for gods? Oh, I got a hole in one again. Gee, I wonder if I shoot backwards. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go around the world and still I got a hole in one. That does not bring God happiness. I hate to say, if you love golf, love it as much as you can, but it does not bring happiness to gods to play golf. Or basketball. Gee, I wonder if this three-pointer is gonna go in. Maybe if I close my eyes, still not a challenge. So what, do God, what did Heavenly Father do today? He spent today listening and giving and blessing and helping and, and loving and rejoicing in others. Did he at any moment of the day say, gee, I could sure take a break from all this? No. That's the work of God's. It's what makes them happy. That's what makes omnipotent creatures happy. It's not hitting hole in one golf shots. It's listening and loving and blessing. It's watching other people be happy. And guess what we get to practice? You know what? The car wash had a rough day. The car wash had a rough month this month. And they're not going to do well. I, I had a good month. We're all going to have, you see the beauty of consecration? Do you see the beauty of that system? Now, going back to last week or the last two weeks, is it ever going to work if we don't have the right attitudes? It'll never work. So then would you say that taking me time to refuel myself so I can help other people is a mortal thing i think i get tired now what do you know about an omnipotent god he doesn't tire he doesn't need to take a break and refresh what refreshes him you you refresh him and so i'm not gonna i don't need that time i think it's a very mortal again we can't comprehend the only glimpse we have is where he says that same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there, but it will be coupled with an eternal glory, which glory you can't possibly understand. So, yeah, I take a break because my physical body needs it in order for me to be able to do what I really want to do. But an omnipotent God who doesn't necessarily need to take a break won't want to take the break away from helping you. That's how I read the situation. But then again, I'm a mortal. You're asking a kindergartner what college is like. Didn't uh, God need to rest after creating the universe? Not for his sake. He didn't need to. He did to set a pattern for his children. But did God get tired? Did God get tired and have to catch his breath? Do gods get tired and need to catch their breath? They do not. 
So, good point. So that mean kind of off other things comment because I think a lot of the times with keeping the Sabbath day holy, it's it's a day of rest, but it's more of a co- a day of consecration of like, no, I'm going to give my day to God. Yeah. And it's like, what am I going to do today that will strengthen that relationship with God? Versus, no, Sunday's the day of naps. You know, and I, I'm guilty too. I'm just like, oh man, I have time now. I'm going to sleep, which I'm not saying is bad at all. Not in a mortal world. But understanding but, that like, sometimes it's, it's like, there's other things that can be done. Yeah. Tell me, that's up to the person. Tell me what, if you were to break down what Jesus did on the Sabbath day, what words would you throw out? He lifted, he healed, he served, he taught. Which man of you having an ox that falls in the mire will not lift him out? Jesus spent his day of rest doing what? Lifting. So I ought, to t- I ought to consecrate my day and do what? Now, is there an element of I need to rest so that I can do a better job at lifting? Sure, absolutely. But Heavenly Father spent today not vacationing. He spent today watching and caring and blessing you all day long. How many blessings did he pour out today upon you? That's the work of God's. And those who desire that lifestyle, I believe are the ones that will go to the celestial kingdom and be God's. Because that's what makes them happy. Blessing people makes them happy. And I can't think of a better way to live than this. I am going to do all that I can to gain as big a surplus as I possibly can so that I can bless other people. And in in those months, I will be grateful for those who can bless me. Does that help you better understand steps one, two, and three of consecration? The giving is only step one. Everyone needs a stewardship. Everyone has to receive a stewardship. And then what do we do for the rest of the millennium? For the next thousand years? We wash cars. Or whatever your assignment is, you do it with joy to build the kingdom and you take your surplus and you pass it on. So that being said, can I live this today? No. Is today a day for this? No. Now I know I pay my tithing and I have a church calling. I get that. But which of those three laws could I best live today? The law of surplus. Whether it's money or time or talent, I have a surplus. I have more than I need of something. Allow me to give that to God. Now we speak of storehouses, but let me point out there's a difference between the bishop's storehouse. You'll find another phrase in the scriptures. Anyone catch it? The Lord's storehouse. I throw my fast offerings into this one, but I throw everything else that's more than what I need to take care of my family 
into this one. Lord, I've got some things to offer the kingdom. Well, your neighbor needs a fence rebuilt. Hey, I've got some tools. I've got some tools. Let me use some tools to rebuild my neighbor's fence. That's my surplus this month that I've thrown into the Lord's storehouse to take care of the Lord's kingdom. One last verse before we go. Section 82, Doctrine and Covenants section 82. Now, knowing James and Whitney, what are they going to do throughout the whole millennium? Every day, they're going to figure out better and better ways to wash cars so that they can build the kingdom. So section 82, verse 18. Who wants to read this one? It's how we live our lives. This is what celestial people do. This is, the per this is what's going to make James and Whitney happy for a thousand years. What are they going to do? That's the Lord's storehouse to become the common property of the whole church. If I owned the car wash, I would spend a thousand years figuring out how to better wash cars because I want to build the kingdom and I want you to drive a washed car in the kingdom. Do you see the attitude? Now, go back to the temple and raise your hand and covenant to be that kind of person. I covenant to live the law of consecration. To first live it inwardly and then live it outwardly. And in the meantime, I covenant to live the law of surplus that I will take all that I can and give it to the Lord's storehouse so that he can bless the kingdom with it. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.